Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. It's a uh, beautiful morning. It's 9.53 a.m. on the 26th of April, and I got uh, sunshine blasting through my windows, uh, smacking me in the face right now. I can feel uh, the nuclear fusion happening. Well, how far away is this? Uh, you know, tens of millions of miles away. I can feel it on my face, and it just feels so warm, and 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 just feels good, man. It just feels good, brother. All right, and that's that's it, and that's all. And uh, yeah. Anyways, like I said, beautiful day. It's a beautiful day, and it is a perfect day to talk about uh, our boys in blue. That's right. We're going to be talking about uh, uh, police and prisons and politics and uh you can't even call them boys in blue anymore they don't wear blue anymore do they they've traded in their blue for black yeah you know uh, traded in their old the old uh you know police hats you know they traded those in they got now they got the uh special operations ball caps with all the patches all over them you know looking all tactical with the oakleys and shit and they truly uh uh Traded in the old, uh, you remember like the old, like just dripped out bomber jackets with like the fur on the on the collar, right? Like the wool on the collar. Yeah, those were sick. They traded those in. Now they got uh, you know like tactical vests where they carry like uh, pouches for extra magazines and stuff. And then they got uh, you know the, the the tactical pants and the combat boots. They they don't even look like cops. They don't look like cops anymore. They they look like. Um, like a squad of like Cobra commanders goons from GI Joe, you know, like the, the guys that would always like bust through the glass in the ceiling and come down on ropes and then, uh, you know, get their asses kicked by the GI Joes. That that's, that's what cops look like nowadays. Just like some, uh, tactical echelon of, of the Cobra organization. <laughs> uh, but anyways, yeah. So, so, so today, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be indicting everybody, everything I'm placing big fat indictments on uh the uh institution of policing uh the american justice system the prison industrial complex all of it just i'm lining them all up turn and face the wall please and you you get it all right so let's talk about it so it's my belief that um, the, you know, the, 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 the way that we police in America, the way the justice system operates, um, uh, the, the way that the prison system in America, the whole entire landscape and the kind of um, dialectic of, of the way everything works together, the whole landscape <clears throat> um, is just, it's scorched. Um, you know, nothing good can, can grow from the way we do these things. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's you know you want to talk about broken beyond repair. I mean that's what we're dealing with here, and and you 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 may not agree with everything that I that I'm going to say in this this uh, quick episode, but just try to listen and keep an open mind and like really ask yourself, you know, is this the correct way that we should be doing the, these things? Uh, and if it's not, you know, can we do better, and how can we do better? 
so, so the first thing I want to do is talk about a, a, a book that I just listened to recently uh, by Har- Harvey Silvergate, and, and it's called Three Felonies a Day. And basically, the whole, the whole premise of the book is, you know, like your, your average person, you know, they, uh, you, you wake up, you eat breakfast, drive to work, you work, you come home, you eat dinner, you go to sleep. And during the course of the average day, uh, a person unintentionally, and, and you know, they're, they're largely unaware, you commit at, at a minimum three felonies on average a day, just going about your business. Um, why is that? It's because we're just, we're, we, there's, there's so many laws in this country, felony law, like federal laws in this country, okay, that, that people just are, are unaware of. Um, they're, they're victimless. They are incredibly ambiguous and vague and hard to understand. And they serve only as a tool to, um, you know, s- siphon people, you know, out of society uh, uh, into the legal system for whatever purposes, you know, uh, it's deemed necessary at the time. Um, and, and you know, actually, I'll, I'll say this, you know, one of the, um, more common uh, uh, sayings, and I think it's attributed to John Adams, you know, famously said, uh, you know, America, we, we are a nation of laws. And I would argue that um, we're, we're not a nation of laws, we're a nation of prejudiced discretion uh, w- w- with regards to the enforcement of said laws. Um, so what I mean by that is, 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 you know, like I said, just said, the average person commits anywhere from three to five felonious crimes uh, a day. Why don't they get arrested for them? Okay, why, why don't the, the person J.Y.? Why, why? It's because ultimately law enforcement officers have complete discretion as to who they arrest, why they arrest them, when they arrest them. And... Uh, so what I'm trying to say is like, yes, we are a nation of laws, but what are laws except just, you know, uh, words, it's just gibberish, it's just words that we write down, you know, like what good is it if, if ultimately you're going to place the enforcement of those laws uh, to, to, at the discretion of just normal, everyday, completely fallible human beings that are subject to all the petty emotions and behaviors that human beings are subject to, like um, uh, discrimination and, 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 and biases and ego, right? Like, the, so it just, so, I mean, here's, here's an example, right? So here's, here's, here's what I mean by like this, this issue of discretion, uh, is a problem. Okay. And here's why it's a problem. Um, let's, uh, let, let, so let's say that somebody gets pulled over for, for a, a blinker or for, for, for a, for a uh, improper right turn, right? which I have been pulled over for before. So, so in case you don't know, okay, uh, you can get pulled over. It is illegal to make an improper right turn, okay? So an improper right turn is when uh, you turn right, and instead of ending up in the lane closest to the shoulder, you may go, you know, two or three feet over, and you um, cross into the, the, the lane, the other lane, right next to it. Um, um, and, and this is when, you know, uh, somewhat more rational people might make the argument, you know, is this, you know, um, improper turn? Uh, is, it, is it really necessary for a, a agent of the state with a deadly weapon to go and interact with this person? You know, I would say no. You, we can do what, what so many other countries do. And if it's necessary, you can send them a citation in the mail, okay? Um, 
but anyways, back to what I was talking about. And this is and this is something that I'm sure you, you many of you have probably experienced in your life. If you haven't experienced it, you definitely have seen it played out. Okay, but it's when you know an officer decides to use their discretion to give a warning, right? So this person that made an improper turn in their car, you know, they have a completely clean driving record, no speeding tickets, no parking tickets, nothing. And so, you know, as they should, they say, okay, well, I'm going to give you a warning. Hey, make proper turns. Don't make improper turns, right? And then maybe the person, they, they, they say something like, oh, well, yeah, thanks for keeping everybody safe. You know, I wanted to go solve some real crime or something like that, right? And then what does the cop do? Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? How about boom? Ticket, motherfucker. How you like that? So, so I, I really think that a lot of people don't see a problem with this, wouldn't have a problem with it. But let's, let's really dissect this, okay? Let's go into the weeds here and just stick with me here, okay? Because what, what did we just see? We saw a police officer's discretion in action, okay? So this is an instance of how uh, a lot of times they use their discretion. So the proper use of discretion there that we saw was, you know, looking at the uh, improper right turn, right? And, and looking at it within the context of like, oh, okay, so, so what, you know, harm was done by this person making an improper turn? None, okay? What, uh, what was the motive, right? Why did this person make this improper right turn? Could, there's, there's a million innocuous reasons why somebody maybe they just weren't paying attention maybe they didn't know that you uh, uh you know couldn't turn you had to turn in the lane closest to the shoulder you couldn't you know turn into the other lane maybe there was a left hand turn 50 feet up the road and they just were getting in that lane to be ready to make that turn there's a million reasons why somebody does it there's not one single reason why no one wakes up okay and it's just ah i'm at the end of my rope man I'm going to go make some improper right turns because I don't care. Burn it all down. That doesn't happen. All right. And, and, so, and so finally, you have to view the infraction within the context of a or, or, or from a, a jurisprudential lens. Right. OK, so, uh, you know, is, is there anything to be gained from bringing somebody into the, you know, clogging up the legal system with this, you know, completely victimless, harmless infraction of traffic uh, uh laws you know do, do the benefits outweigh the cost right and and rightfully in this case it's like no in this case from a from and this is just me speaking okay but when you're talking about jurisprudence something like an improper right turn the the reality of having your day interrupted and having you know 15 to 20 minutes taken out of your day because you know to, to be taken up by a traffic stop and talking with a cop that's punishment enough for making an improper right turn therefore you get a warning hey buster you know make sure that you're turning correctly in your car all right otherwise i'm going to stop you again and you're going to have to sit here with me for 20 minutes while i lecture you even more so don't do it right but that's not what happened uh because if you remember this uh, unfortunate person in this scenario they uh, they were a little sassy right they, uh, they 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 talked back a little bit to this cop so this this police officer decided to use the discretion that they have with regards to enforcing the law they decided to use that discretion to punish this person uh for uh you know hurting their fifis making them feel bad you don't you don't say mean things 
You say nice things to me. You say nice things. I'm a police officer. I'll kill you. <laughs> but, but, but really though, like what changed about the situation? What changed? And we see it all the time, don't we? We see videos and stuff of, of police officers saying things like, you know, you know, oh, keep talking like that and, and you're going to get a ticket or, you know, keep that up and you're going to jail or, you know, whatever. And it's, it's like, uh, you know, what changed? Is the improper right turn suddenly more improper because of what this person just said? Did the improper right turn that, that took place 20 minutes ago, is it all of a sudden uh, dangerous because of what this person just said? No, like the only thing that changed is the officer's self-esteem. And and so really here, I'm being serious. So what, when, you know, using discretion like this, what the police are really doing is saying, okay, at this moment, I'm going to operate outside of the parameters of the law and of jurisprudence. And I'm going to wield the authority that I have to bring down the power of the state upon you as a citizen because y you, you said a mean thing to me and it made me feel bad and it's just like oh my god like grow the fuck up like you sticks and fucking stones you absolutely bitch made paper thin skinned like pathetic excuse for a man okay like cops are the biggest crybabies like special snowflake just crybabies I have ever seen, okay? Because, like, you know, here's the thing. I'm, I'm a, a pretty sensitive person. Like, I, just, I wish I wasn't that way, but you just you have to recognize it. Like, that's just the way I'm wired. Like, things have a tendency to, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, cut me pretty deep. I'm a pretty emotional person, right? And I did uh, eight years active duty in the military, all right? I'll tell you what, brother, you got to have some some you gotta develop some thick skin to do eight years active duty okay and then i got out and and i worked in the car business okay and let me tell you like it's borderline sadistic the way that like uh you know uh, uh sales in the automotive trade are, are treated um mostly for legitimate reasons but still it sucked and now i work in construction okay and i've been called everything i've had tools thrown at me like it never ends and you know what i do do you know what i do I become a mallard, baby. I become a mallard. Just water off my back, okay? Because, because fuck them. Like, it's just words. It's just words. Like, how insecure do you have to be to, like, let the words that somebody else says to you, uh, especially in a fit of, like, anger or frustration, have any effect on, like, you know, your, your actions or how you feel about yourself? And, like, who else do we allow to behave this way? You know, nobody. We, you know, think of a, a Burger King employee, right? Like, somebody comes up, and, and, and so the employee, they take the order, they make the food, they give them the food on a little tray or whatever, and, and, the, and the customer looks at it and they say, oh, yeah, it looks like you guys got my order right this time. You know, usually you dipshit mess it up. I'm surprised that you were able to rub together your two brain cells and get my order right this time, right? Is that Burger King employee, are they allowed to just smack the tray out of that customer's hand say get the fuck out of here you're not getting any food today bitch no they can't you know, no no they have to sit there and smile and take it and they and, and burger and, and they don't 
wield the authority of the state. The only authority, that, the only power they wield is whether or not to give you, you know, three ketchup packets instead of two. Uh, but, but, but anyways, I, I got to move on. I've talked too much about, th- about this. But that, that's just w- one tiny facet of, of, of how, you know, the, the citizen-facing arm or wing of the justice system, right? The, the law enforcement officers, um, you know, the, 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 the institution of law enforcement is flawed and in need of serious critique and transformation, um, you know, through, through, through creative destruction, right? Uh, abolition and transformation. And, 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 and really, I'm not even, t- I've only talked about like the sort of fluff stuff so far, you know, pretty, pretty, um, stuff that isn't even really important. I haven't even t- made any of the real hard cases for, for like, you know, the, 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 like the tax issues, you know, like there's so many, almost no police officers live within the communities that they're in charge of policing. They all commute, you know, sometimes, you know, up to over an hour, they drive in and occupy, you know, like they're driving into the war zone. They drive in and they, you know, occupy this community and they, they do their shift and then they drive off. And the, and the thing is, so many of these cities, especially these inner cities, such a huge swath of the of the of the um, city's budget, a huge portion of that goes to the police budget. And so, in effect, what you have is like the the citizens of these communities paying through their taxes for the police force to come in and brutalize them and harass them. And then the the police officers they take the their salaries, their huge salaries and all their money, and then they go they fuck off all the way back to their much better neighborhoods and they use the money from these people that they policed to fund their better schools with through the property taxes from the houses they can afford. And they, they so it's literally extracting the wealth from these already impoverished communities and taking it elsewhere to, to and, 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 and so yes, police should live within the communities I, that, they're, that, they're, that, they're, that they're in charge of, that they're in charge of serving and protecting. And I get so flustered that I have to even say things like this. Yes, people within the community should be in charge of protecting and serving their own community. Period. Full stop. And, and, and they should do that for, for a, a, a number of reasons, like I just discussed. And then also, it's just, I, I'll tell a little, a, a little quick story, and I think I might have told it before, but, you know, I, I grew up in a very small town with a very small police department, and my grandfather, who I lived with for, for quite a while, my grandparents, uh, he was a dispatch, you know, he retired as a dispatcher for the police department. And uh, the, a long story short, there was an instance where my uncle, who was living with us at the time, you know, he had um, uh, drug addiction issues, and he came home messed up one night, freaking out, and he had, the, you know, a knife, and he said, you know, Dad, get your gun and everything, and they called the cops, and the, the cop that came was, um, well, I'll leave his name out of it, but it's a, a cop that our family knew personally very well, and my uncle was freaking out, and the cop did, have, and he had a weapon, and the, and the cop did have to, like, um, you know, wrestle him and, and handcuff him in the living room, my grandmother's, you know, wailing and freaking out and everything, but um, he was apprehended without incident. Nobody got hurt, you know, and we, we were able to sort these things out. And why did that happen? Because that cop knew my uncle. He knew my family. He knew that my uncle wasn't a dangerous, like, criminal. He's just, like, m- you know, a little bit messed up right now. And he knew. And so when you have people within the community that are in charge of p- 
protecting and serving and policing the community, okay, you have people in the community that know, okay, there's a little boy that lives in this cul-de-sac down here and he has autism and his parents are like kind of not really around and everything. And sometimes he has outbursts, but he has the sweetest heart in the world and he's never, never capable of hurting anybody, right? Everybody in the community knows that. Uh, the, the cop that drives an hour in, he doesn't know that. And he just sees some kid freaking out. Does he have a gun? I don't know. I'm not taking any chances. I'm going home to my family at the end of my shift, brother. You know? So you need to know the community that you're policing. And, and anyways, all right, so I'm, so I'm moving on now. Okay, so, so now we're going to talk about the American uh, justice system. All right? So, so how it works is we just, we just discuss, you know, so law enforcement officers are in charge of arresting people for what the fuck ever. And then, so they arrest them, they take them in, and then uh, you, you go to jail while you await a trial in which you have the ability to prove you're innocent. Um, and, uh, you know, thankfully, some, some people along the way were like, well, let's do something. Let's, let's, let's guarantee that people can have the right to a speedy trial, right? We're going to expedite this process because, you know, if we're going to lock people up, we're going to arrest them and put them in jail until they have to wait for a trial. We got to make it happen pretty quickly because a lot of times people are innocent. And if, you know, we don't give people a speedy trial, then we've just kept people innocent American citizens. We've just denied them their civil liberties and freedoms for a really long time uh, for no reason. They're innocent. So in America, we do have the, the, the right to a speedy trial for what it's worth. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one thing, it's not worth a goddamn thing. Because, well, I'm going to talk about Khalif Browder in a second, but uh, this, this and, and, and okay, I'm, so I'm just going to describe this and I'm going to let you, you know, determine how you feel about it. But also, somewhere along the way, uh, people had another idea too. They said, okay, well, if you get arrested, right? And you're waiting for your trial and everything, and, and, and you don't want to wait in jail. You don't want to be in jail that time. You don't want to be locked up. You want to be free. Uh, how about if you just like, you know, just like pay me a whole bunch of money, and then I'll just let you go. But if you don't have a whole bunch of money, then you got to stay locked up. So obviously, you already know what I just described is uh, cash bail. And it really only makes sense within a system such as ours where justice is just a commodity to be bought and sold and subject to the, the whims of the highest bidder. Uh, all right, and so now, now I'm, now I'm going to talk about Khalif uh, Browder. So Khalif uh, Browder was a, a, a 16-year-old African-American man that was arrested for uh, he was accused of uh, stealing a backpack. Uh, so, as we discussed the process, he was arrested. He was, uh, you know, taken to jail. Uh, the court set his bail at ten thousand um, dollars. Unfortunately, his family and himself were not able to raise uh, ten thousand dollars, and they didn't have ten thousand dollars just, you know, st- stuffed in a couch cushion somewhere. Um, so they sent him to Rikers um, to await his trial. So maybe some of you don't even see a problem with this yet. You know, oh, you, know, you wait a week or two, you know, maybe even you, you wait a month, right? Until you can get a court date and then you go to trial, you prove your innocence, right? Oops, sorry, you know, uh, you're free to go, right? Um, no, no. Um, uh, Khalif Browder, he was at Rikers Island uh, for three years um, waiting for a court date, waiting for a trial, three years. 
So before I even continue, though, I mean, just think about that. You know, three years. You know, an, an American citizen was imprisoned for three years. Imagine what that would be like, you know, the whole entire time, knowing that you're completely innocent. You're, you're, you shouldn't be there. You should be free. You should be finishing college, having a girlfriend, going on dates, like buying a new car, you know, your first car. And instead, for three years you're, of your life, you're rotting away at, at Rikers Island, just waiting for the chance to go in front of a judge to have them look at the case and say, oh, whoops, sorry, you're innocent, our bad. And, and maybe still, like, some people just don't get it, you know? They're like, oh, three years, you know, an innocent man did three years in prison, that sucks, you know, it's rough, but, you know, throw some money at him, he'll be fine, whatever. But, no, you don't understand. And it's, and it's because, you know, America really is just inherently, like, a sadomasochistic nation with a, a thin veneer of, like, puritanical values, right? That, that our, our prison system is just, an, it's just like a hellish, just the stuff that nightmares are made of, okay? Um, and, and so, yeah, like an, an innocent man was in prison for three years, but also, like, endured beatings by officers and other inmates, tried to commit suicide multiple times, spent more than 400 days of his three-year stint, spent more than 400 days of that in solitary confinement, okay? And, and I'm reading from this, the, the NPR article right now, right? So that incarceration, hundreds and hundreds of nights in solitary confinement where there were mice crawling up his sheets in that little cell, uh, being starved, not being taken to the shower for two weeks at a time. Um, it, it, it... So yeah, anyways, um, you know, after three years, in, in 2013, um, his, his case was dismissed and, and he was let, uh, let out. And so this is what I, I want to read what uh, Khalif Browder said um, uh, shortly after his relief, uh, excuse me, release, right? Um, so he, sa- he said, people tell me because I have this case against the city that I'm all right, uh, but I'm not all right. I'm messed up. I know that I might get some money from this case, but that's not going to help me mentally. I'm mentally scarred now. That's how I feel because there are certain things that changed about me and they might not go back. So yeah, that, that's, that's what he said, and, and, and it is, it, this is important because um, I remember this, and I remember this whole story, like, as it was happening, and this was kind of like the, my first, like, eyes being opened to, like, this whole world of, like, how the justice system operates, and, like, the legals, all this stuff, and I remember at the time, there was so many people talking about how, like, oh, he's just trying to get some money from... Uh, you know, this, because I think it was like in the millions or whatever that he was trying, that they were, him and his attorney were trying to get or whatever. But so many people are like, oh, he's not messed up. He's just trying to get married. They always just want to sue for money and all this stuff. And here's the thing. <clears throat> we'll, we'll never know. We'll never know if he was just doing it for money, if he actually did have some irreparable damage from, you know, hundreds and hundreds of days in solitary confinement being uh, beaten and brutalized, not being allowed to shower for two weeks. We'll never know if he was just trying to get some money or if he actually was uh, very seriously mentally and emotionally scarred by that experience. Uh, we'll never know because, um, you know, shortly after his release, uh, he was living with his mom at the time and he went upstairs and he took the air conditioner unit out of the window and he tied a cord around his neck and he went through uh, feet first. And, uh, you know, later on, his mom, 
went outside in the backyard and she saw her youngest son, you know, uh, hanging there dead from the, the upstairs window. Um, so, so we'll never know if he was actually emotionally scarred from that or not. And, it, and it's just especially gross and vile and disgusting <clears throat> because the, the, the same people that I saw, you know, back then and that I heard from, you know, talking a certain kind of way about Khalif Browder and about this whole case, it's the same people now that are talking a certain kind of way about the Chauvin trial. And they're talking a certain kind of way about uh, Adam Toledo, in, you know, in Chicago, the little boy that was shot to death by police. And it's the same people that talk a certain type of way about Breonna Taylor. And it's the type of people that just refuse to acknowledge the humanity of anybody other than themselves and the people that they care about. Moreover, they willfully deny the humanity of other people in order to prop up their own flawed ideology and try to make it make sense. <clears throat> but uh, but I'm, I'm going to come back to, to Khalif in a, in a, in a minute uh, when I'm, I'm getting ready to close here. So the, uh, you know, the thing is, I don't know if a whole lot of people know this, but for anybody that doesn't, the U.S. has uh, the highest incarceration rate of anywhere in the entire world. Um, so, so America locks up, imprisons more of its citizens than any other nation in the world. Okay, so I'm looking up incarceration rates by country 2021. Uh, so per capita, the United States tops the list. Coming in at a not even close second is El Salvador. Then we have Turkmenistan, Palaua, Rwanda, Cuba. And then, so I'm just scrolling all the way down here. Trying to find some Kazakhstan. That's one people might know. 157. Wow. I'm so far down the list here, guys. Boom. China right there. So China at 121 per capita uh, per 100,000 versus America's 639 per capita. It's because we love freedom. China. China hates freedom. America loves freedom. That's why we deny our citizens their freedom, you know. Uh, you know, 500 times more than, than they do in, in, in China. Uh, anyways, you keep scrolling all the way down here. Then you have all of the, uh, you know, uh, Norway, Germany, uh, Denmark, France, uh, Italy, all that stuff. Anyways. <clears throat> um, and now this is really interesting, all right? So, so buckle up. Buckle up, sweethearts, all right? So I have here the uh, states of incarceration. So the, 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 the states in America with the highest incarceration rate per capita of, of, of their you know, citizens. Um, so we have, I'm just going to read from like the top 10 here, all right? So we have Louisiana, Mississippi, Oklahoma, Georgia, Kentucky, South Carolina, West Virginia, Florida, Arkansas, New Mexico. You get it. All right. Uh, now I have over here top 10 poorest states in the u.s so the top 10 poorest states in the u.s let's see if we can draw a correlation here so we have mississippi louisiana kentucky arkansas west virginia alabama oklahoma tennessee south carolina all of which are at the very top of the list all those states are at the top in the top 10 of uh in, in, in incarcerated citizens per state Hmm. So, um, you know, what I have to say to all the, uh, you know, Dennis Prager, 
uh, Ben Shabibo types that love to, you know, run around vomiting up these talking points, acting as if there's no correlation between these things, is uh, that there really is only two uh, choices here. Either uh, we have an enormous privatized for-profit prison industrial complex that feeds and sustains itself off of the lives of poor people by filling up beds and filling up cells to ultimately fill up wallets or or given you know the the reality of what i just you know uh, uh, talked about given the facts on the ground how the 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 top 10 most impoverished states uh in the union are also the top 10 most incarcerated states in the union uh, you, you, you're, you're, you would have to be forced to reckon with the reality that there actually is a causal relationship between poverty and crime, and uh, upon accepting that reality, then it becomes our responsibility to uh, do as much as we can to try to eradicate that poverty and create opportunity. Uh, I say it's both, right? But but you know who the fuck am I? I'm nobody. I'm 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 just a guy that cares deeply about this stuff with with a, a fiery passion you know i'm i'm not a guy with a, a show that's funded by right-wing billionaires who all own st- a lot of stock in private prisons so you know who's to say who you should listen to i don't know i don't know but i i'm not going to be able to get to everything i wanted to get to i want to talk about you know the, the department of corrections real quick i, I ran out, i wasted too much time earlier on i went off the rails talking about um you know police discretion when enforcing laws so i'm gonna have to just burn through this stuff really quick but but okay, so so let's let's talk about um, um, the prison system. So uh, I, I think most people would agree. You know, if you ask, you know, why do we why do we send people to prison? Why do we arrest people and send them to prison? I think it's uh, most people would agree that it's to you know stop uh, crime, correct the behavior, and prevent it from happening in the future. Right? That's I mean, it's simple. So. You know, within criminal law, there's kind of four philosophies of punishment. Um, and so, so, so you have uh, retributive, uh, deterrence, societal protection, and finally rehabilitation, okay? Um, so retributive punishment, or the, the, you know, the philosophy of retribution as a form of punishment. It's very simple to understand. It's kind of like our most base are more animalistic drive, right? Like somebody, you know, harms you, your, your first initial reaction is to to harm them just as much if not more than they've harmed you right it's a like a sort of an eye for an eye um uh, sort of philosophy thing that you know most people know about that philosophy it's it, you know a, a quote commonly attributed to gandhi but i'm i'm i'm, I'm to believe that it, it wasn't actually him that said it but uh eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind right so people have kind of uh, evolved past that sentiment and if you haven't then uh, you probably are inclined to some sort of uh, thinking that is derived from a uh, that, that has a, a scriptural origin. So, so I already got it pulled up for you here. Uh, New Testament, Matthew chapter five, verse thirty-eight. Uh, you who have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you, you resist evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Um. So yeah, you, 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 you get it, you know, uh, harm begets harm, begets more harm, begets never-ending uh, perpetual harm. Uh, and so the second philosophy uh, of, of, of criminal punishment is, is the philosophy of deterrence. 
And, and so the notion behind, you know, the, the philosophy of deterrence is, um, you know, okay, so somebody does something that, that we don't like, so we throw them in prison under, you know, for a few years under just, just absolutely hellish, like nightmarish um, conditions. It's just, it's, it's negative reinforcement to the nth degree, okay? And I really mean to the nth I'm not going to let myself go off about how just completely uh, disgusting and abhorrent American prisons are. But just Google it, all right? Just look at Just look up uh, gladiator fights prison, okay? And it's literally, you know, guards forcing inmates to fight to the death and filming it, and it's vile. Um, but anyways, so the thing about the philosophy of deterrence, right? It, listen, it sounds good, doesn't work. We've been, we've been doing this for, for decades now. And, and if you look at what actually happens is when you do this to people, look at Khalif Browder, okay? The, people either get turned into like more hardened criminals in prison or get turned into monsters in prison or the people that refuse to allow themselves to become a more hardened criminal or the people that refuse to allow themselves to become a monster because of what's been done to them in prison, um, they kill themselves, a lot of them. And so instead of deterring people from committing more crime once they get released, okay, uh, sometimes you, you, have, you have a guy, you know, getting, getting thrown into prison for 10 years for selling weed, okay, and in prison he's going to have to, like, fight for his life and he's going to be uh, uh, interacting with murderers and gang members and, like, really violent people that are in there for the rest of their lives. And then after 10 years of being just subjected to, like, things that no human being should be subjected to, then... Okay, we're going we're gonna, to, you know, uh, pin a $20 bill on his collar, give him a smack on the butt and say, there you go, go back out into society, try to stay out of trouble. And, and actually, moreover, you want to talk about reintegration, you know, and talk about when we, when we get, when we, when we, you know, when people get out of, when, when they're released from prison, uh, most of the time they're barred from welfare programs that help people get back on their feet. They face legal discrimination in uh, hiring, you know, employment and, and housing. And, uh, and so look at this, um, a study by the National Institute on Justice of Prisoners found that within three years of release, two, two out of three were rearrested. And five years after release, um, three out of four had been rearrested. So, so if, if you have a recidivism rate of, you know, after five years, three out of four people are back in prison, it's not working. Deter- it's not deterring anybody from, being, from committing crime. It's not working. Um, yeah, so. Um, <clears throat> anyways, so uh, third philosophy of, of, of criminal punishment, right? You have societal protection, right? So pretty much, you know, the belief that th- there's evil in this world and there's, there's bad guys. And so we scoop up the bad guys and we throw them in prison. And, and don't you feel protected uh, as a society? And, and this is one, this is a, philosophy that 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 you know has merit in my opinion and it's because there are um people who just choose to be violent criminals and i and i'm thinking about i can't remember his name but there's like you know, some ex-mob hitman you know killed like tens of people and they're interviewing him and interviewing him and you know he's just like man i just love killing people you know i was good at it too it's like yeah that guy um you, you give him an eight by 10 cell and, and uh, an hour of recreation time, you know, out in the yard every day and you feed him enough. So to make sure he doesn't die. And, uh, yeah. Hey, sorry, brother. Sorry. Your brain's so fucked up. <laughs> like, 
yeah, you know, enjoy, enjoy the rest of your life in this little tiny cell and everything. But yeah, stay away from me. Keep that guy, keep people like that, that just showed absolutely no remorse and no interest in rejoining society. Keep them far away from society. Um, but, um, with that being said, it's important to acknowledge the fact that 40% of the prison population is nonviolent, low-level offenders. Um, people who, who, like, for instance, if, if they were in Germany, they would not even be in prison. The, Germany, who, by the way, is crushing it with regards to recidivism rates and crime. I'll go over that in the, in the next part. But um, <laughs> a lot of people that are locked up that, that, that have just have no reason to be locked up. And once again, kind of circling back a little bit to that uh, discretion of enforcing the laws. Okay, you're talking about societal protection. Well, the financial industry, the, the amount of like destruction and havoc and despair that the financial industry has wrought on the communities and, and the citizens of America just far outweighs anything that any dipshit selling drugs on the corner has ever done as far as damages to communities in America, okay? Uh, end the drug war, dump those money, dump that money, energy, and resources into actually prosecuting financial crimes. You know, I, 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 I want to see, you know, the, the private equity firms. I want, I want our justice system to, to go after BlackRock with the same fervor that they go after a 22-year-old with a joint in his car. That's the big, that you want to talk about, that's the biggest bang for your buck when it, with regards to protecting society. So, there's only one philosophy left, right? So, so which, you know, uh, philosophy of criminal punishment is the best suited for our American Department of Corrections? And... Uh, I argue that it's the only philosophy with, with you know, a corrective nature uh, to its name. And it's the philosophy of rehabilitative punishment. So a lot of times I like to, to think about this kind of in the, within the context of like parenting, right? And it may be a, apt, you know, a metaphor, maybe not, but it's just what I use for my dumb brain to make it make sense to me. So, you know, you have your retribution, right? In terms of, of, of punishment. So that, that would be, you know your you know toddler you're, you you got a, a four-year-old son and they punch your uh six-year-old daughter in the face right so you walk up to your son and then you punch him in the face and then he you know learns ow um you, my, my dad is an absolute monster and i'm scarred for life now and i'm probably going to grow up to be a murderer right so that's, that's kind of how that works and then you have um uh deterrence right so that'd be, that'd be like you know maybe your um your kid doesn't want to share their toys, right? And so you say, oh, well, you don't want to share your toys? All right, well, guess what? I'm throwing all of your toys in the trash. You have no toys anymore, and you're grounded for a week, right? Like, excuse me, extreme, you know, punishment. And now a week is over, and they become ungrounded, and guess what? They don't have any toys. So now, just back out there, you know, having learned absolutely nothing, except, uh, okay, so here I am. I'm pissed off. I have no toys anymore. And my life is just way worse than it was before. And uh, I don't know what to do. So I don't have any toys. I got to get some toys. So I'm going to try to go and find some toys. And I'm going to try really, really hard not to get caught. I'm going to do everything within my power not to get caught uh, this time. Uh, because that really sucked. And I don't want to go back there. But I'm still going to do what I need to do. And so, you know, the answer 
at least in my opinion, is is something that most parents, I believe, uh, already do, or at least I, I'll just go over, you know, kind of my process. Um, so, you know, one of my kids exhibits some behavior that I don't like or some behavior that I want to try to correct. You know, what do we do? We, we intervene, we stop it, right, from happening. And then we go somewhere. Uh, we go somewhere quiet, either their room or just some other space, and we sit down together and we calm down together, right? And once we're calm, we start talking and we'll talk for however long it takes. That's part of the process. And it's like, okay, so while you're here, you know, I'm, you can't go and play. You can't go and go outside. You can't watch TV. You can't go in the playroom. I'm denying your freedoms and your liberties right here in this space, uh, you know, because of what you did. And we talk about it. We talk about um, the exact thing that they did that was wrong and the reasons why it's wrong, right? And, you know, how they would feel if that happened to them, why we shouldn't. And I'm talking about, I'm using an example of, you know, talking to a kid, right? But it's the same thing. Like, it's, it's correcting somebody's behavior. It's rehabilitating them to understand why what they did is unacceptable and to, get, to, 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 to help them understand um, why it's unacceptable and to give them healthy mechanisms for how to deal with that situation should it prevent or should it, um, um, you know, present itself in the future. So like I said, it may be a little bit silly because I'm using the example of like a parent, you know, um, um, correcting the behavior of a child or whatnot. But really, when you're talking about rehabilitation, and especially when you're talking about crime, because most of the time crime is a, a dysphemism for crisis, um, a, 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 a poverty crisis, a, a mental health crisis, right? Um, and, and it's important to make that, it, it's vitally important to make that distinction because your response to crisis should be different than your response to crime be, be, well <clears throat> i gotta stop i'll stop i'm starting to fade here and i already went on way too long but listen this stuff i i like I'm, I'm i care i'm very passionate about this stuff and i i could i could literally talk for another hour and I could hold a, a, a three-day weekend like seminar with, and go for 12 hours a day, just go bullet point by bullet point until people's you know, brains start melting out of their ears. Um, but <clears throat> I'm sure I'll talk a lot more about this in, uh, type of stuff in the future, but I'm, I'm pretty much out of gas right now. So. But I said that I was going to circle back and, 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 and wrap it up with the... Uh, Khalif Browder, and and so, so what I what what I want to talk about is something that maybe people uh, might not know about this story. But uh, so so thirty three months in to his, uh, I would say sentence, but he hasn't even been sentenced. He hasn't even had a trial. Uh, thirty three months of being detained at Rikers Island. <clears throat> um, what happens so often in these cases is they come they come at people with a plea deal. You know, like, hey, who knows if you did it or not, but you've already been here so long, just say you did it, and we'll give you a lesser sentence, or we'll give you time served, and you'll be free to go, uh, or if you want, you can fight it, and it'll just take forever, however long, who knows how long it'll take, and then you, you'll get a much harsher sentence. So, they, they came up to Khalif, uh, 33 months in, and they said, hey, listen, brother, you're facing 15 years, all right? Uh, you're facing 15 years here, or... You know, you can take a plea, admit that you did it, 
and you can go home right now. You know, time served. And uh, <clears throat> Khalif, you know, knowing that he's innocent, um, he, he, he didn't take the plea deal. And um, I'm, <clears throat> I'm, you know, in the, in the, in the, sh- in the sh- show notes, I'll, I'll link a, a video of an interview with Khalif did after he got out before he killed himself. Um, I'll link a video to where he, he talks about this decision and how hard it was and how scared and petrified he was, but he just had to do it. Um, because he said that if, if he took the plea deal, that there would, there would be no justice. It would just, everybody would, uh, oh, okay. Um, you know, criminal got his sentence and, and that would be the end of it. But that's not justice. And, and, and so you just have to, <clears throat> especially knowing how everything ended up, <clears throat> you just have to marvel at, at the bravery <clears throat> and uh, the resilience and the fortitude exhibited by, by Khalif to say, you know, within this completely unjust American justice system. It takes one man to, to, to stand up and say, no, no, listen, okay, yeah, you're trying to tempt me. You're trying to bribe me with my own freedom. But I don't, I don't want freedom right now. I want justice right now. And I'm going to get it. And, uh, <clears throat> and he did finally get, um, get, get, you know, um, he got his justice. You know, he was, he was proven innocent. But, you know, at what cost, you know? Uh, <clears throat> anyways, uh, I've been sitting here for almost an hour now, so I'm tapping out. I'm done. Uh, listen, folks, it's, it's a beautiful day. It is a gorgeous day. Enjoy it. And, and I don't want to hear you. Let's stand where I'm at. It's raining. Or, There's a tornado. I'm not talking. I'm not talking about the weather. Okay. I'm talking about it's a beautiful day. Uh, well, why exactly is this day so beautiful? Well, it's because I'm here for it, and you're here for it. And <clears throat> I don't know, man. Call me crazy, but. Uh, any day that we get to to have is 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 a beautiful day in my book. Anyway, uh, get out there, live your life, do some good, and it's it's just like our old pal Kid Rock said. Okay, uh, ba with the ba, the bang a dang diggy diggy, diggy said the boogie said up jump the boogie. Thank you very much. Propaganda. The students like it, the parents like it, and best of all, it works.